I wouldn't be able to go after damages to try to make a little bit of my loss right. And we are looking to basically address the fact that not a one-size-fits-all system works for everybody. Can't think of a better way to protect our Constitution than to raise the bar. From the fourth floor of the Capitol Rotunda, you're listening to WFSU Public Media's Capitol Report, the podcast. I'm Tom Flanagan. Funding for Capital Report is provided by the following. A grant from the law firm of Searcy, Denny, Scarola, Barnhart, and Shipley. Supporting public radio and taking time to care. On the web at searcylaw.com. This is Capital Report, the podcast. I'm Tom Flanagan. Among today's capital action, if a pregnancy is lost through a person's negligent actions, parents would be able to sue under a measure moving through the Florida legislature. But as Regan McCarthy reports, opponents worry the bill could open the door to harassment, especially against people who help someone get an abortion. Last year, as Republican Representative Jenna Persons Mullica made the drive from her home in Fort Myers to Tallahassee for legislative meetings, she couldn't help but think of the baby she'd soon give birth to. If I was in a terrible car accident due to the wrongful act or negligence of someone else, and I lost my child, the child I talked to every day, I cared for in my womb, and to lose a child in your womb on top of losing your child. And when I looked at the statute and found out if that scenario happened, I wouldn't be able to go after damages to try to make a little bit of my loss right. To me, that's a wrong and a travesty in our statutes. Under current law, a person who commits a criminal act can already face additional punishment if that act results in the loss of a pregnancy. Persons Molika has a bill that would allow parents to file a civil suit. Either parent is damaged by losing that life of the unborn child that holds value for that parent, they could bring a cause of action if there was a wrongful act by another. Opponents have raised concerns that the legislation could open the door to harassment of abortion providers or others who help a person get an abortion. Laura Goodhue is the executive director of the Florida Alliance of Planned Parenthood Affiliates. She says that's happened in other states with similar laws. So we've even seen, for example, in Texas, an ex-husband of a woman file a lawsuit against friends who had helped her obtain um, an abortion. The bill prevents lawsuits from being filed against a pregnant person for the loss or termination of a pregnancy. And Persons Mullica says her legislation has nothing to do with abortion access. But Goodhue is dubious. She points out last year, Persons Mullica helped to pass a ban on most abortions after six weeks, a measure that's currently on hold as an abortion case is pending before the state Supreme Court. Goodhue hopes Person Mullica will consider an amendment that would specify that the civil liability does not count if the pregnancy was terminated. Another worry is how the bill would impact a person's ability to access fertility treatments. Plantation Democratic Senator Lauren Book, who used fertility treatment to have her children, says that's of particular concern to her. Or any Floridian out there who has to use reproductive technology, assistive reproductive technology to have their children, this would and could block their ability 
to become pregnant and start a family. That concern stems from the fact that the term unborn child, which is used in the bill, is not defined. I'm Regan McCarthy. The Florida Senate's trying to distance itself from a controversial House proposal that would roll back child labor laws. Tristan Wood reports the Senate version of the bill keeps the state's child labor laws mostly intact. Zephyr Hill's Republican Senator Danny Burgess has been quick to distinguish his bill from the House proposal. I want to be very clear, this is not a repeal of Florida's child labor law. That is a different bill. That is not the bill that's before you. The House version would change state law to let 16 and 17-year-olds work more than 30 hours a week during the school year and work past 11 on school nights. But Burgess's bill doesn't go that far. Instead, he wants to allow 16 and 17-year-olds to work more than eight hours on Sundays and holidays, work till midnight, and provide an exemption to hour restrictions for students enrolled in home or virtual school programs. This is a very narrow... We, we took a lot of time and had a lot of hands cooks in this kitchen to make sure that what we're doing is responsible. And we are looking to basically address the fact that not a one-size-fits-all system works for everybody. While his bill is different, that didn't stop dozens from showing up for public comment against it. Florida AFL-CIO Representative Rich Templin says that although the bill is substantially different, he doesn't see any need to tweak child labor protections. He's concerned that if it changed a little now, it opens up further changes down the road. This is not something that needs to be adjusted or tweaked. Everything is in place to accomplish what the bill sponsor uh, has said he wants to accomplish. Panama City Republican Senator Jay Trumbull, who chairs a committee that backed the bill, says much of the criticism is levied at what the House version of the measure would do, not the one he supports. But I do think it's important uh, that these are not the same bills and that uh, your bill does, I think, strike a balance and gives uh, children and parents an opportunity to be able to uh, uh, operate and work in a, a post-COVID environment, to your point in your opening when you talked about uh, how schedules are much more fluid now. Which bill version will become law remains uncertain. The House version is set to be considered by the whole House chamber on Thursday, but its language would still need to be approved by the Senate. I'm Tristan Wood. A Florida House panel has passed a proposal that would make it harder to pass state constitutional amendments. Under the legislation, constitutional amendments would need support from 66.67 percent of voters to pass. That's up from the current 60 percent. Groups have used the ballot initiative process to pass constitutional amendments on a series of major issues, such as allowing medical marijuana and increasing the minimum wage. State Representative Rick Roth is sponsoring the measure. A lot of people are ignoring our constitutional rights, and I can't think of a better way to protect our Constitution than to raise the bar. Opponents of Roth's proposal say groups have needed to pass constitutional amendments because the legislature has ignored the public's wishes on issues. State Representative LaVon Bracey Davis says the measure would limit the ability to make such changes. I don't understand why we would want to change the goalposts. Um, I don't understand why we wouldn't trust 60 percent of the voters, 60 percent of the people. Um, 60 is a big number. Roth has repeatedly proposed the change in past years, but it hasn't cleared the legislature. If approved during this year's session, it would go on the 2024 ballot. 
Our regular Capitol Report correspondents are Adrian Andrews, Gina Jordan, Lynn Hatter, Regan McCarthy, Margie Menzel, and Tristan Wood. Shows are available Monday through Thursday by 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, wherever you get your podcasts. On many of these Florida public radio stations, you can tune in each Friday to catch the latest on all things happening at the Capitol. And that show is also available in podcast form. Technical assistance comes from Taylor Cox. I'm Tom Flanagan. This is Capitol Report, the podcast from WFSU Public Media. Funding for Capital Report is provided by the following. A grant from the law firm of Searcy, Denny, Scarola, Barnhart, and Shipley. Supporting public radio and taking time to care. On the web at searcylaw.com. Capital Report is a production of WFSU Public Media in Tallahassee.